time do you eat your breakfast each day? Or your lunch? Or do you have a different time that you eat depending on the day? Do you know if you're hungry when you eat? Or do you simply set a meal time and stick to it? On today's episode of The Nutrition Couch, Leanne and I take a closer look at meal timings and the signs that you may be eating on autocue. Hi, I'm Susie Burrell. And I'm Leanne Ward. And each week we bring you The Nutrition Couch, the bi-weekly podcast that keeps you up to date on everything you need to know in the world of nutrition. As well as all things meal timing, today we discuss the issue of weight loss, but specifically, why is it so hard to keep the weight off when you've actually lost it? And our listener question is all about what are the best sweet snacks to have when you want something with your cup of tea or coffee? So to kick us off today, Leanne, as we move into the final quarter of the year and some of us are just wrapping up school holidays or some of us have gone back to work and certainly over the past couple of weeks, I've had some intense conversations with clients who have really indulged over the holiday period. Indeed, when we don't have routine and structure and at beachside suburbs and indulging with the kids, it can be hard to keep our nutrition on track. And, and as we move towards Christmas, we'll certainly be sharing some strategies with our clients on, on how to do that. But I thought it lended itself to a discussion about the importance of meal timings, because I see a couple of things going on with clients routinely that I think might help a lot of listeners in terms of linking your food intake to your natural appetite a little bit. So a couple of scenarios that I see is I have clients who are not overly hungry in the morning. So they get up, they might have a tea or a coffee, which may or may not have milk, and then they sort of get about their day and then it's often sort of 9, 10 before they actually feel hungry and then they're grabbing their breakfast. And that naturally then tends to push lunch back until about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, whilst that is awesome in the sense that clients are listening to hunger, which we would always encourage them to do, I wanted just to talk about the natural circadian rhythm that is very powerful in the morning and something I've been speaking a lot about to my female clients is that we are programmed according to a 24-hour clock and hormonally and from a, a burning perspective, naturally burn more calories in the first half of the day. So if you sort of have over time got into a habit of not eating your first meal until later or perhaps are eating late in the evening and not waking up hungry or more commonly having a coffee in that early morning's fueling, the issue with that is it's sort of pushing all those calories back to the second half of the day. And one of the most powerful things we can do if the goal is fat loss is to be hungry, be burning, and to shift those calories forward. So I've certainly been having a lot of discussions about making sure that first meal of the day is within an hour or two of waking. Because even if you're not hungry, it would be suggestive that we need to do some work on your metabolism. And if you're up at six, certainly by eight o'clock, I would want you to have at least half of a small breakfast or again, up by seven, certainly by nine o'clock at the very latest, would I expect you to have your first meal? And, and as we've spoken about before, many of my clients will have almost two breakfasts. They'll have the small one early when they're not overly hungry, perhaps with a coffee, and then come nine or 10 o'clock, which would traditionally be reserved for morning tea, they'll have almost a second half of, of breakfast then, and then that will take them to say one o'clock rather than what tends to happen, which is the later breakfast, an 11 o'clock coffee, and then a lunch, which is sort of at two or three. And you may have noticed that what happens off the back of that is that you get terrible munchies late afternoon and then overeat, then aren't overly hungry for dinner, but eat dinner anyway. And it's just that constant cycle of eating because you think it's a meal time, but you're actually not in tune with your natural hunger. So I guess the key message I wanted to chat about was 
being able to almost control your hunger and get back in touch with it rather than sort of having small amounts, not really proper meals, snacking through the day, but then having certain meals on autocue because it says on the meal plan you can have afternoon tea or you you need to have a certain thing for dinner even though you may not be hungry. So whilst we can always go off rough guides and meal plans, ultimately the best indicator of when you should eat and how much is your hunger. If you're not overly hungry, have half the breakfast. If you're starving, feel confident to increase it. And that's what I'd call getting in tune with your natural body signals. And I find certainly if you've had many years of dieting, that can be really challenging and almost confronting to trust yourself because we're often scared of not eating or becoming over hungry later, but then very happy to skip in that early part of the day, but never would skip the afternoon snack that's got the tempting bars in it. So I thought it it lent itself to a whole range of discussions about meal timings. What do you see, Leanne? What are your sort of common observations with clients? Yeah, the biggest thing I see is probably people not really being in tune with their hunger. Like you said, it can be something that's really difficult to, I guess, notice, particularly if you've had years and years and years of chronic dieting where a lot of clients say to me, I just never feel hungry. Yet you look at their food diaries and there's just a lot of snacking and grazing and a lot of calories coming from drinks in particular, like large milky coffees, juices, smoothies, energy drinks, that sort of thing. A lot of calories going on, but not so much main meals, if that makes sense. So clients think that they're eating quite light. They think that they're not eating very much, but when you look at it in terms of a calorie load throughout the day, it can actually still be quite high. And that's the reason that they're struggling with fat loss. So I guess just that reset in terms of really getting in touch with your hunger and really almost just allowing yourself to actually be hungry. I think we're just kind of taught as a society that hunger is this bad thing. Like we should never feel it and I always say to my clients, like hunger, it's an uncomfortable feeling, but it's just that like, you're not going to die without food for, you know, humans can last weeks without food. It's water that we need. And I'm not saying you need to go weeks without food or anything like that, but I'm just saying that hunger is just an uncomfortable feeling. That's all it is. But so many of us are so fearful of being hungry. We're constantly eating and constantly snacking and grazing because we're so fearful of ever becoming hungry. Yet I sort of say to my clients, look, if the goal is fat loss, you've got to be comfortable with a little bit of hunger. Now, I'm not saying that you should be like a stomach pit. I'm going to eat my arm off hunger 24 seven. Absolutely not. But I want you to feel hungry leading up to a meal time. And I want you to feel genuinely hungry. Not like, oh yeah, I could eat. Yeah, I could give or take lunch right now. I want you to be like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited for lunch. I'm really, really hungry. Not like I feel sick to my stomach because it's been like six hours since I've eaten. But you know, it's been a good two, three, four hours since I've had a meal or a snack. I'm really ready for lunch. I'm really hungry. That's the feeling that we want you to have when it comes to a meal time. Because when you eat your food, your body digests it, it uses it for energy. That's a good sign. And you feeling hungry means that your body's utilized that energy well, and it's ready for your next meal. Most of us never really feel that feeling of hunger throughout the day. So that's probably my biggest, I guess, thing that I see with clients is that they're really not in touch with that hunger. And a lot of them are fearing hunger when really they shouldn't be. They should just be seeing it as a great natural process to fat loss, but knowing that they should have a meal or snack ready to go when they do truly genuinely feel hungry. It's not something you want to completely ignore and be like, well, I can't eat anything else for the rest of the day because I'm over my calorie load. Like you said, Susie, the other big thing I see is people eating the exact same thing every day. So they're having a, a breakfast, a morning tea, a lunch, an afternoon tea, and a dinner versus I say to clients, some days you might need four snacks and other days you might need none at all. So it's not something that you need to feel bad or guilty for if you need to eat up for the day because you've done a lot of activity or you're just having a day where you might be, you know, 
a couple of days outside of your period and you're feeling really, really hungry, that's completely okay. Eat more in those days versus other days you're running around, you're busy, you don't really even think about food. Don't, you know, intentionally grab a snack if you don't actually need it. So some days we need a lot more food, other days we need a lot less. And that's a big thing I see with clients is that they think that they should be eating the same thing each day, but bodies don't do the same thing every day. We don't move the same. We don't do the same things every day. One day if we go to the gym and then chase our kids around the park for two hours and two days later we come down with a cold and we're stuck on the couch, our energy requirements are not the same. Therefore, we shouldn't be eating the same. So meal timing is very important and the calorie load that we have throughout the day is really important. And actually not eating the exact same thing every day is a really important message leading into spring, I think, for our clients, Susie. Yes. Mix it up. Uh, Change is very important when it comes to metabolism, which actually leads into our next topic, which is common because we've all been in a position where we've needed to lose a few kilos or on a weight loss journey and know how incredibly focused you need to be to see those drops in the scales and changes in waist measurement. But what happens, you have a few weeks, perhaps not as tight or a holiday, and seemingly the weight all goes back on. So why, Leanne, is it so very easy to regain weight once we have lost it? Why is it, Susie? Well, the biggest reason why it's so easy to regain the weight is because essentially what happens when you lose weight, say for example, you were 80 kilos and you went down to 70 kilos and you dropped 10 kilos, you're now in a body that's 10 kilos smaller. So what tends to happen when people drop the weight? We don't like this, but the reality is, is most people tend to diet and they tend to do some sort of very strict, very controlled diet, or they do some sort of like gym challenge where they're like hundred percent on plan. And there's like zero deviation from that plan. They're very strict. They're very focus. They're like, great. I got that 10 kilos off. I'm 70 kilos. I reached my goal. Amazing. Guess what they do, Susie? The diet stops and they go back to their old eating behaviors. And I always say to clients, what you do to lose the weight, you need to do long-term to maintain the weight. If you're going to do some, I don't know, particular crazy diet to lose 10 kilos, and then you revert back to your old eating behaviors, guess what? You're reverting back to those eating behaviors that were maintaining that 80 kilo body. If you want to maintain the new 70 kilo body, you have to continue to eat down for the 70 kilo body. You go back to your old habits. You're going to go back to regaining that 10 kilos. That's why it's so easy for people to regain the weight. And then physiologically, what happens, the science behind this is when we're in a calorie deficit and we're losing weight, which we know we have to be in a deficit to lose weight. There's no if, buts, or maybes that has to happen. We have to technically eat less than our body needs in order to elicit fat loss. That's how fat loss works. Now, when we're in a deficit, our body down regulates us metabolically. It starts to slow things down on purpose because the body doesn't necessarily like to be in a calorie deficit. It doesn't like to eat less fuel than it is comfortable at. So it doesn't like that. So it starts to down regulate a lot of different things. And one of the biggest shifts that happens is it reduces what's called our NEAT, N-E-A-T, our non-exercise activity thermogenesis. It's a big fancy word that essentially just means the amount of activity that we're doing that isn't formal exercise. So Susie's looking at me right now and I'm talking with my hands and I do that a lot and I fidget and I play with my hair. Now I do those things normally, you know, quite often and a lot of people do. So it's activity, it's movement that your body's doing without formal exercise. So what happens when you're in a deficit is the body starts to reduce a lot of those things. These little things get harder. I might not talk with my hands so much. I might be sitting on the couch and if I'm not in a calorie deficit, I'll bounce up and I'll grab the controller and I'll change the channel if an ad comes on. But if I am really, really in a calorie deficit and I have you know less energy, I'll be like, oh no, I can't be bothered getting up for that controller. So the body 
tends to, you know, say no and conserve a lot more energy. Because it's conserving that energy, you're actually effectively burning less over time. And the third point I'll make, Susie, about why it's so easy to regain as well is because of the structure. Generally, people have quite tight structure and rigidity when they're losing weight. And then as soon as they're done with the diet, they tend to fall off the wagon. The structure goes by the wayside. They're eating, they're grazing, they're drinking, they're going out to dinner. They're not making, you know, they're not pre-planning in advance. They're not ordering the extra veggies. They're essentially reverting back to their old patterns. But because of this loss of structure, it tends to unravel very, very quickly. And that's where we see the kilos coming back on again. So I would say if your goal is to lose it and maintain it, ensure that you're getting that non-exercise activity thermogenesis, just a little bit of extra steps each day. That's why Susie and I are so such big advocates of getting those extra steps in, not necessarily hours extra at the gym, just a couple of extra steps. Take the stairs, don't take the lift, park 10 car parks over at the shopping center. Maintain some form of structure with your nutrition. It doesn't have to be rigid and completely like, you know, anally obsessive or anything like that. Just some form of structure where you have regular breakfast, a good lunch with protein, a good serve of whole grain carbohydrates, lots of leafy salads at lunch. You don't stop doing all of those good eating behaviors just because you've lost the weight. To maintain it, you need to maintain those healthy habits as well. And then of course, trying to maintain as many of those behaviors you did to lose the weight to actually maintain that long-term. Sure, you can have a little bit more flexibility. Sure, you can have a little bit more calories, but you can't just blow it all and revert back to exactly what you were doing beforehand. That is a very strong scientific summary, Leanne. Well done. All I was going to say <laughs> was just a simple, the, what do they call it? The notes, Cliff's notes on it. I find the main difference is that I find clients don't have, say, the heaviness and then the lightness through the week. So very quickly, normal kind of heavier dinners come back in, as opposed to, say, more salads and more veggie-based meals. And then they still have the weekend indulgence, so they never get achieve that deficit. So I think it's really a, a good balance in a life, particularly coming into the end of the year with a lot of social functions and party eating and canapes and events, is that you're likely to be eating more and celebrating. And if you want to keep your goals or even your weight under control, you've got a buffer when you overconsume to have lighter days. And, and I'm talking, you know, a, oh, just a salad for dinner, a vegetable omelette, a soup, because we just can't eat the same amount and then extra and not expect to gain weight out. Our lifestyle is so conducive. And that lends to what you were saying, you've got to maintain your minimum exercise and if not add extra to buffer you. And that's my argument speaking to clients is that usually if clients are going on holidays, I expect them to lose weight because they should be more active. And even if they are more active, if they gain weight, I know they've really overdone the calories. So the proof's in the pudding. So yeah, you've got to have those light days, I want to say three, four a week to buffer when you're going to have sort of more indulgent type meals and and party eating. All right. Well, to wrap us up, admittedly, Leanne, we do focus a lot on weight control. I guess it's it's our most popular topics. We know people are interested, but there's also a whole lot of Nutrition Couch listeners who are simply interested in good nutrition. And that was why today we've chosen a listener question that's a bit more about general healthy eating, because the question is, when I have a cup of tea or coffee, I enjoy a sweet snack with it, but I don't want to have fruit or yogurt. So what would you recommend as a reasonably healthy snack? So I think it's tricky because, you know, traditionally we would always have things like biscuits with a cuppa back in the 70s. And unfortunately, even plain biscuits are a mix of white flour, white sugar and vegetable oil. So there's really nothing healthy about them. I do think that there is a range of sort of more whole food based, sweeter snacks you can find now. So they're sort of less than 100 calorie 
products in the muesli bar section that may have some extra fibers added. Now, I'm not saying they're they're not processed, but I'm saying they're still reasonably calorie controlled. I think if you want to get your bake on and make your own kind of healthier banana bread, zucchini loaf, which we put on our Instagram a couple of weeks ago, a, a small piece of a homemade banana bread or muesli cookie is a very great option because you can also make those with extra virgin olive oil and wholemeal flour and oats, and they can be a really smart, nutritious, healthy snack. They're probably off the top of my head a few sweet options if you do like something. What have I missed? I'm a big fan of the chocolate coated almonds. I love them. I just obsess with them. And you don't need a lot because typically they actually have quite a lot of chocolate covering them. So they're quite hearty, I'll say. So, you know, two or three nice dark chocolate covered almonds are amazing. I was in, where was it? It was one of those whole food shops. It must, I think it was Flannery's the other day. And I saw cinnamon dusted almonds and the line was quite big and I was just browsing. I didn't buy anything, but I definitely will go back and check them out because I think something like that could be quite good. We know there's very strong research for nuts. They're very positive for our health. Of course, we kind of want to keep the the amount in check because it's very easy to overdo them and they are quite expensive. But I think something sweet like some dark chocolate coated almonds or a bit of cinnamon dusted nuts could be a great idea. I really do like the nut bars as well speaking of nuts. And then some of the shops as well, there are a couple of different brands on the market at the moment that have smaller size protein bars that are actually quite sweet. So I'm not a huge lover of protein bars because they are very overly processed. You absolutely can make your own at home, but there are a couple in the supermarkets that aren't too bad from an ingredient perspective. And if you guys have picked up the Nutrition Couch Snack Guide, you'll see that we've got quite a few of those in there um, with the protein range, but just watch the protein bars because some of them, they're heavily marketed at males. They've got upwards of you know 30 to 40 grams of protein in there, but they're just too much for females as a snack. Some of them are three to 400 calories. They're honestly like a mini meal. So just be careful with the size of those protein bars. We're really looking for those mini ones, which are kind of, you know, 40 to 50 grams max, kind of like a half size protein bar if that. And then the final one, Susie, I think bliss balls can always be good, particularly for kids. I like to use a base of rolled oats versus a base of say nuts or nut butter or dates even, because I just find rolled oats have a better blend of, you know, the long lasting carbohydrates and they're a little bit lower calorie than having a base of nuts and a lot more affordable as well. You know, you can get a bag of rolled oats for like $1.50, $2. So I do love bliss balls with a base of rolled oats, but just be careful with the ingredients that you're putting through there. I saw a lovely recipe for carrot cake ones the other day where they grated up some carrots. They had some dates. They had a little bit of cinnamon through there, a couple of walnuts and a base of rolled oats. I think something like that would be delicious. And when you're rolling them, you can kind of dictate what size you want, depending on your energy requirements. They're probably my biggest ones. Dark chocolate coated almond, cinnamon dusted nuts, small size protein bars and some homemade bliss balls with a rolled oat base. Mm, Very nice. Very appealing. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the Nutrition Couch for another Sunday. Please keep telling your friends about us so we can continue to grow. And if the psychology of weight loss is something you're interested in, in a couple of weeks, we will be hosting a Facebook Live on October 16th, which talks all things the psychology of weight loss. And there will be a live Q&A with Leanne and I. So check that out on our website, thenutritioncouch.com. Have a great week and we'll see you Wednesday. Catch you guys next week. Bye.